Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Here We Are podcast. It's uh, the seven-year anniversary. We're going into the eighth year of the podcast, and I thought I'd record a solo episode. So this is much different. Just in case you happen to be tuning into this one, and this is the first ever Here We Are podcast that you've listened to, this is not a good represent. I, I don't know what's all going to come out of my mouth. I can tell you that it's not a good representation of what the show uh, normally is. So if your first time hearing this is listening to some guy blab about himself for an hour and a half or let's try to keep it to an hour. And then you're like, well, that was kind of boring reasonable that would be a reasonable uh assessment of what i believe is probably going to happen and uh, that's not representative of the show i just wanted to share some thoughts uh about um some of my background and i've, and I've done this um a couple times in the past it, i i hate talking to uh i hate talking to myself um while being recorded, rather. I talk to myself all the time in regular life. Very healthy thing to do, by the way. If you don't talk to yourself, get into it. But don't like recording, talking to a microphone, or looking in a camera um, by myself. Not terribly comfortable with it. And uh, something that I should probably get better at. Sometimes if you ever hear the intros or outros that I do, part of the reason why I don't do them very often is simply because I just don't like talking um, solo into a camera and microphone. Um, and uh, I've literally released episodes late or not plugged shows or done like important announcements and things just because uh, I get anxious uh, doing this. So I'm, I'm getting out of my comfort zone. I'm uh, confronting a source of insecurity and anxiety by doing this show. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's, Hopefully it gives you just a, a little bit of an idea of what this uh, show's about and some reflections on the past year. So I don't really have a plan. Just in my head, I thought, well, I'll give a little bit of a background. I'll talk about some of the things, a, a little bit of background of, of uh, how I got interested in science in the first place, how I started doing a science podcast, the topics that we like talking about the most on this show and why and maybe some reflections on the last year um or so i think it's been about a year since i did one of these and um perhaps some thoughts about the future or, or share a few of the uh few of the ideas i have in other projects that i'm working on so we'll see if i stick to any of that 
who knows? So if you happen to be, uh, uh, maybe I sent this to you because you're a potential guest or something like that. Um, and, or uh, just someone that I wanted to give the, uh, kind of basics of what the show is about overall. The main topics that we talk about on the Here We Are podcast, lots of how the mind works. It's quite a bit of, I particularly like thinking about the evolutionary underpinnings that gave rise to um, our many preferences, the way that we think, our conscious experience. So, one of the things that and I'm, I'm going to make this a very, very 101 simplified basics uh, type stuff. But one of the things that I'm very interested in is uh, so when we think about evolution, um, it's it's easy to think about it as, hey, OK, cool. We started we, we were these. Uh, we were these uh, apes and then we started standing upright and oh isn't that neat we have uh evolution like and made our thumbs the way they are or something like that and and what a lot of people aren't privy to and the topic that i just find endlessly fascinating is what were the pressures through time what were the pressures through our ancestors, not just human ancestors, be before uh, humans, the, our ancestors that gave rise to early humanity and what pressures were faced after that, what pressures were faced by all of life on earth that created um, various uh, predictable kind of behaviors and biases and things like, for example, negativity bias is a very simple one um and with with any of these things it's often way too simplified and can't be applied to every situation and context is is important but just just the idea that um you know a, if a good thing happens to you that's great and everything but if a bad thing happens to you that could mean the end of your life and that cost is much higher that cost that might make it so that you never spread your genes on. Um, and, and because of that, some of our ancestors that were a bit more cautious intended to weight negative experiences greater than positive experiences uh, survived and reproduced more because of that in spite of the unnecessary anxiety that that uh, has caused uh, modern humans and and so many of our ancestors and and uh, you know it, it's not a it's not a perfectly calibrated thing the smoke alarm goes off at burnt toast sometimes because that it's better to have that safe than sorry safer than sorry Better safe than sorry calibration than to not go off when you actually need it. So there's a lot of biases like that 
and a lot of them have evolved over time. There's environmental influence as well, which we're also very interested in on this show. But why are you attracted to the the people that you're attracted to? How have uh, it, it? How have you, as an individual, changed over the course of your life, and what influenced that? that development across the lifespan? Was it just linear learning things or are there different strategies at different stages of, of life? Stuff like that, endlessly fascinating to me. And it helps me understand myself. It helps me understand others. Um, and it sometimes makes me uh, more compassionate for for myself and the human condition. And it sometimes makes me more frustrated or makes life feel futile. And it's a whole range of emotions. I, I don't, uh, I'm not a life coach. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not interested in um, kind of building up our boy, you just got to believe in yourself and everything's magic. I just, that just doesn't resonate uh, with me. And it's wonderful if on this show that you learn things that help maybe understand yourself a bit more, if that has utility for you and you are able to make better decisions in your life because of something that you hear on this show, that's awesome. But if something is a bummer, I also want to learn about that as well, um, because I just uh, I think there's just a lot of wish thinking out there. And reality is so fascinating to me. Reality and learning about all of the topics on this show is so much more fascinating than the pleasant little stories that we tell ourselves. Doesn't always feel as good, but, you know, the little inspirational quotes and stuff. People love these things. They're sharing them on social media all the time and, uh, you know, plastering their, uh, their home with them and putting them on greeting cards and stuff. And we like feeling good. It's a natural thing to do, but that stuff, it just doesn't... Uh, it doesn't do that much <laughs> for me. And so my bias is, is I sometimes overindulge in some of the dark aspects of life. So we, we talk a lot about mental health on this show. Uh, we talk about uh, depression and anxiety. And I, I think one of the, one of the things that makes me a good host, because I don't, uh, I don't necessarily bring, a lot to the table in terms of I, I don't have a background in science. Um, I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not formally educated. Uh, I'm not the most disciplined um, uh, student in terms of educating myself. I've, I've, my natural curiosity gets me a long ways um, because I just gravitate toward learning about this stuff without uh, without having to force myself to sometimes I have to force myself to but um I think that my background as a 
as a stand-up comedian and even before that has uh helped me just being very comfortable with uh, with talking about uh, feelings or my background or vulnerabilities or uh things that i'm cynical in life uh, a little more than uh, the average person that is in a different social environment than I'm in that might have a, a bit more of uh, kind of constraints and uh, social pressure to, uh, uh, you know, be the cheerleader around the office and, and that sort of thing. And that's what's necessary to get ahead. And boy, if I had that skill, maybe I would be, be uh, flourishing in that environment instead of trying to uh, uh, figure out a way to get people to, listen to a science podcast that, uh, you know, very few people, uh, <laughs> like, uh, hearing like really hardcore academic science, like we talk about on this show. And I think that's a shame because I find this stuff endlessly fascinating, but here's how I got into it. So you'll obviously be able to play this podcast at like two times the speed because I'm, I talk slow and I didn't think about this ahead of time. But, uh, so I had a wholesome Midwestern background. This is a blab about this to many guests on the show. And I just never really quite fit into it. And I, uh, I, oh, I forgot to talk about the many other topics. Uh, okay. We'll get to the many other topics that we talk about on the show. Um, but that was just one example of, of, of how passionate and, and interested I am in just the one subject of how evolution has shaped our mind and preferences. But uh, yeah, so I grew up speaking evolution. I grew up in a pretty strict religious upbringing. I mean, it was an upbringing or it was, it was, I had a religious upbringing and my upbringing was also strict. I'm not sure that it was necessarily strict because of religion, but there was an influence there. Uh, it didn't ever resonate with me. From a very early age, I questioned things. I would get in trouble for questioning things. Um, and I uh, just in, in being a kid and trying to explore boundaries and um different social norms and stuff. I, I used to push a lot of buttons. I used to, uh, root against the Packers, for example. Um, I'm from Wisconsin and that would, if I did that, you know, I was five, six years old and doing that and it would drive my relatives like actual adults insane. And I just thought that was hilarious to me. And, I just kind of any sort of group think thing. Yes, science can be labeled as group think as well, but I, I think that there's very different things going on with with science than than general just kind of in group the the sort of uh, the sort of in group communal experience that people have um, going to church going to the sports games or a concert or whatever else, nothing wrong with doing these things and enjoying your 
your social life. But that's a, that's a very different kind of inclusive social experience than the kind of academic working away in the cubicle. And I also don't find it to be, uh, uh, although we're all in our echo chambers and everything, I've found scientists to be fairly independent. None of us are perfectly independent thinkers. As part of the nature of the job, it's uh, it's kind of about questioning, uh, about thinking critically, about trying to falsify things. Um, you know, you don't uh, uh, you don't go into church or a sports game trying to falsify a belief. You go there rooting for that belief to be true, even if it isn't. And that's quite so that's one of the things that that science is is uh, pretty unique in, I would say. Uh, But anyhow, my religious upbringing messed with my early life. Uh, I, I didn't like it. Maybe if I was brought up by a bunch of scientists, I would have rebelled against science as well. But I didn't like it. And uh, and I was kind of a closet atheist since about the age of 10. I didn't even know that there was such a thing as, as being an atheist. I thought I was the only one in the world, um, which meant either I was crazy or the world was. Turns out a little of both. But at the time... And everything's really big when you're a kid and we all have these like uh, we're all heroes in our own minds and build up our obstacles uh, more than is probably appropriate sometimes. But it, it messed with me. It was impactful. And when I was a teenager, oh, so so early on, I decided I wanted to be a stand up comedian. And once I decided on that. Then that was truly like, yep, I don't care about the school stuff. What does it have to offer me? Uh, and that's a regret that I have and and might have been influential in getting me so into educating myself and reaching out to academics. And uh, as someone who never had an interest in college, it's a bit ironic that now I find myself talking with so many college professors. Um, but what happened was I, I was, so once I was, I was like, I'm going to be a stand up comedian. I don't need anything from school. I'll do the things that are easy or enjoyable to me. Like math was pretty much the only thing that I enjoyed in school. And sometimes there'd be like some English assignments that I'd have fun with and, and use as an opportunity to, you know, write a funny story and get some laughs or whatever. But uh, but outside of that, I was I was uh, really just rebellious and it was a handful for my parents and um, teachers and and things like that. And so uh, I did not like my childhood at all. Didn't like it. Couldn't wait to get out. Um couldn't wait to become an adult and move out and become a big time stand up comedian. That was where my head was at. And so as I became a teenager and weed started becoming a thing that people were smoking, there's finally this opportunity for me to have philosophical conversations about I'm talking uh 
you know, feeling this out for years ahead of time. Best friends of mine that I couldn't even be like, hey, do you think that God is a thing, though? <laughs> and, you know, once I was a teenager and I was able to start having some of these conversations and meeting so much resistance from uh, so many uh, good friends of mine, but I loved having the conversations. And I loved the opportunity to finally have them. And because of that, there would be lots of questions of, well, if this and that isn't true, where did the universe come from? Where did all of this come from? And this was around the time that the Internet first uh, became pretty widely available and uh, had the first personal computer and stuff. and. And so, you know, started looking into it, mostly just so I would have arguments um, to uh, debate my religious friends. And I would say that I was a pretty angsty um, atheist. I was a pretty cynical uh, person. And and uh, I I always just kind of thought everyone was just kidding themselves all of the time and uh and including myself but you know it's easier to see in others so i get out of high school and i had like a kind of a i don't know small ish town a, a, a small small like a suburban upbringing um you know, very Pleasantville-ish upbringing and uh, blue-collar family and extended family. And um, I don't think college was a big thing. My my parents didn't go to college. I didn't have uh, many aunts or uncles that went to college. And so... I um I I got a various jobs. I I took factory work. I worked with my dad making countertops and stuff for a long time. Didn't get along with my parents. Didn't like working for my dad. Um got some jobs at uh like a grocery store early on and then factory work as an adult. And I got into drinking pretty heavily. Um like right outside of high school as I was trying to save up money to move to like, I'm going to move to New York city and become a stand-up comedian. It was also the time that I started, uh, having fun. I started enjoying myself. I started, like I would go to, um, you know, various college parties and stuff like that, even though I wasn't going to college and, and, actually had fun and and got to feel cool and got to have friends and uh that delayed me for way too long so i i ended up working in factories and stuff worked in a furniture factory for a long time finally when i was 23 and i was just miserable and realized it'd been five years uh since i had left high school which five years is nothing but 
your first five years of official adulthood is that's everything there is at the time. And I'd done nothing. All the stuff that I said I was going to do and I was just miserable and I was working in this factory that I hated and it wasn't even that bad of a job. It was just, you know, doing not at all what I wanted to do or intended to do. And so finally I had a friend moving to Boston and finally I just tagged along with him. And just did what I had to do to scramble enough money together and make it work. So I get to Boston. I'm almost 24 when I when I start stand-up comedy. Fortunately, uh, other than pretty severe stage fright in the first few months, which is very normal, uh, I've just had a really natural, I've, I've always kind of, thought in peculiar ways. And so I wrote good, absurd jokes. I had a good delivery. I used to just watch endless amounts of stand-up from the time I was about 10 years old till the time I was about 30. I used to watch stand-up basically every day. I mean, hours and hours and hours of stand-up every week. And you know, I was I was a, a real student of the craft. And so it didn't take me long to start moving up the ranks. And then um, in record speed, I kind of... Uh, th- these things happen more these days with um, people getting discovered on YouTube and stuff. And then you can just kind of pop out of, out of nowhere. But uh, at that time, there wasn't... You know, you started open mics, you moved up the ranks, you would eventually like hopefully get discovered for a small comedy festival and do well there or win this or that thing and and get to go into a bigger comedy festival and then a bigger comedy festival and then maybe an agent or manager sees you and you you catch a break that way. And I actually progressed pretty quickly and um, that stage of things that's just kind of how the business worked at the time and was really one of the last people to catch kind of a a big break in that kind of old model of how uh, comedy works and this is you know I didn't have a social media account at the time I remember just hating the idea of of social media and uh turns out i was right uh so many arguments with my representation that forced me to get on social media <laughs> but i wouldn't do anything else i had no interest in uh in a tv show or anything else i just wanted to do stand up and uh, it was this pure art form that, <laughs> that i loved so much and then i started traveling internationally People internationally had themed shows um, doing these. You may have seen Nanette on Netflix, which is a kind of a one woman show um, and quite a bit different than traditional American stand up. But a lot of people internationally do these festivals where you do a one man show, a one person show. You, you, the, uh, 
dive into a theme and construct this whole thing. And, and that was a model of getting discovered internationally at the time. And I wanted to work more internationally. And here I was working within this model of getting on late night television and, uh, you know, doing short absurdist jokes or whatever. And I was like, I just want to travel internationally more. Okay. What do I do? I write a one man show or something. What would it be about? And I remember early on, I had this, uh, I just realized I had a lot of time travel jokes in my act. I just always found time travel amusing. And I'd read some physics books and stuff from time to time. Um, and it was never a big reader. But when I did read, it was always uh, science books or even just things like um, Popular Science Magazine, which suited my attention span quite well, you know, where it's just like a few paragraphs of a fact or uh, an article that takes up a, a couple pages, maybe. And I, I started gravitating more and more to that sort of stuff and then like getting into more advanced reading like scientific american or something like that right so i'm reading a lot of these things just naturally as a hobby and never it's it's strange looking back because it never even occurred to me to put that into my act or to have that stuff as inspiration um, for comedy. It just didn't even occur to me. And it was just a hobby. It was just something that I was naturally drawn toward and I found interesting. Um, I, I will say I did like the idea once I had a stage, I did like the idea of, uh, shitting on religion. I had a lot of Jesus jokes and, and stuff like that. And I liked pushing buttons too. And so then I was on the road and I'm going through like the South and central time zone and stuff like that. And, oh man, I, I would love to, you know, tell some Jesus jokes there or whatever, and just push people's buttons. I loved doing that. And I had a kind of a hybrid upbringing. I started in Boston. And so my home club was this, um, like indie club in Harvard Square, but I also did a lot of these uh, Elks Lodges and stuff like that. So I had a lot of experience early on um, performing for both like very conservative and very liberal uh, audiences and everything in between. Uh, but I wasn't unfamiliar with any extreme. And I actually liked being on the road. I, I liked the idea of... of um, of changing people's minds more because it seemed hard. As I got older, I started to think, well, people just need to be pointed out, need to point it out why they're wrong. <laughs> that's, that's what people need. And so I'm still, I'm still finding myself because there's one thing to get on late night doing some weird absurdist things. It's another to now be touring around and doing 45 minute to hour long performances each night. 
so I'm interested in this international thing. And I'm like, what would my theme be? Had all these time travel jokes. I was like, maybe I'll write a show about time travel. And I started looking into time travel a bunch. And I was like, no, I'm going to make a show about physics. And I tried doing that. And this is early on. And with, with any new thing, it takes a long time and there's growing pains and it takes a while to learn. And that never went anywhere. And then I kind of had a few things happen. I kind of got uh, what my main goal was. I got this Comedy Central Presents that was just, it was just a half hour special. I shouldn't say that just a half hour special. It, it was a big deal at the time that uh, most uh, comics, you know, would kill for. But, um, it was, it was a goal of mine that I reached, uh, you know, it was a dream. Um, and I reached it long before I kind of considered it possible. And it was kind of like, well, okay, the next step is an hour special. And then that would have to be a more cohesive thing because just short, absurd jokes work well in small increments and having commercial breaks and that sort of thing. But having, uh, I found out from being on the road that, that you want a more co cohesive show and you just kind of want to mix it up a little bit more when you're doing a longer show. All these things had me thinking. And I also just wasn't, uh, having my, uh, my dreams come true wasn't, uh, as fulfilling as I thought they would be. And so I also was drinking quite heavily at the time, uh, making some mistakes, making a lot of mistakes, broke because I was just bad with money, still am. Um, and I was just kind of getting really frustrated i guess Mo a lot with myself but just also just what is the point in anything that's been a theme of my life what is what is the point in being here and living in this existence and um i just and like okay you go you chase your dream once you have your dream then that's what life is worth living for and then when i did i just didn't find that to be the case and I had like, I screwed up with the relationship. I was in a new relationship and I was kind of trying to understand why I had, uh, like just messed things up so bad. And, and, um, this new relationship that I was in was like both exciting, but kind of a bad idea at the same time. And it was I'm I'm not a big weed guy, but at the time I was just in a little bit of a phase of smoking a fair amount of weed and once in a while eating mushrooms and stuff and watching a lot of Animal Planet. And I started watching a lot of uh, like David Attenborough documentaries and things and just starting to make connections of like, oh, wow, that that courtship behavior looks a lot like uh, awkward situations I've been through and stuff like that. So I thought maybe this would be at the time, there was a lot of pressure on me to, um, 
come up with a TV show idea or something like that. Thing that I wasn't interested in at all. But when you're an agent or manager, uh, you don't want to book a client that's just going to be going around, you know, getting you're you're not going to do well getting 10% off of uh you know headlining at the Looney Bin in Tulsa um and and it's a lot of work booking a road comic too and so there was just lots of pressure to try to get me to come up with uh something I was more interested in and i just thought hmm this this animal behavior so there's there's something here where maybe there's like a science of sex show or something like that that you could do where you can use animal behavior to get away with saying more inappropriate things and so i started digging into that and i started digging into the science of sex and i just really as as someone who had uh believed in evolution for a long time and read about evolution, there was just something about uh, having, uh, getting into evolutionary biology and seeing it in terms of relationships, in terms of mating behavior, in terms of what we're attracted to, that just started changing the way that, it just started shifting the way that I saw the world. Not only that, but it also, uh, as I started expanding that outside of mating behavior, which happened really quickly, because I was like, oh, wait, this is this is way beyond some, uh, uh, you know, some hook uh, to get a television show. This is this is incredibly important stuff. How it how is this not taught in school? This is so important for people to know. And I just started kind of obsessing. And then I started, you know, understanding where a lot of our belief systems evolved from and some of the utility in our belief systems, even if the things, even if the beliefs themselves are incorrect, some of the kind of social bonding and and that sort of thing and, and internal drives that those uh, beliefs can uh, help promote uh, do have a lot of utility and it helped me um, kind of become less of an angry atheist and more just interested in okay so when someone's like believes in Bigfoot or whatever like what a stupid thing to think, right? But just saying, oh well, that person's stupid. That that's not a satisfying enough answer. Um, because plenty of intelligent people, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, believe in Bigfoot, and plenty of dumb people don't believe in Bigfoot. Um, and so why is it that people would believe something? That is so clearly untrue. And what it, what things do I believe are untrue that I'm convinced and, and very sure of, despite them being like maybe as incorrect as believing in Bigfoot? You know, that, that's that's kind of the 
the thing that I was obsessing about at this stage. And in the meantime, I had started reaching out to some scientists. You know, I'd, I'd see, uh, I'd see someone give a lecture or something like that, that, that I thought was especially, uh, interesting or charismatic or whatever. And I just started emailing people and being like, Hey, I would like to do something that combines science and comedy or, are you ever in LA or I don't know what this is, but there's something here and I want to put together a show that combines science and comedy. That's all I know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I found out in a hurry that, uh, man, a lot of scientists were, uh, just so helpful and enthusiastic, even though, man, I look back at some of those early conversations and I, just did not know very much at all. I mean, I, I still don't, but now I can, I mean, I, I can go to, I can go to say a dinner with a bunch of scientists. And as long as they're not going down a, uh, a rabbit hole of like really, really, really specific, uh, jargony thing. And it's a, a little more of a kind of philosophical, conversation about some of the basics of you know say cognitive biases or something i can hold my own all right in a conversation um but man it, it, and and i still have a long ways to go but at at the time i was just pure enthusiasm alone and i didn't really know what to do with this there was a stage when i just quit doing regular stand up and I just started riffing with ideas and sometimes it would go really well and then sometimes it would bomb horribly. So I really started jeopardizing my touring career at the same time that I was having uh, like these relationship issues and sort of starting to have some like mental breakdowns and stuff as well with figuring out what I wanted to do with my career over time. It started the pieces started coming together. Yeah, I made a special called Mating Season that's on Netflix and it's got some okay stuff in it and everything, but it's it's just not at the level that I'm at uh, now. And it was kind of meant to be, I learned from that. It was overly accessible. I, I tried to really reach across. And now when I'm touring in the South and the Central Time Zone, I'm in these Elks Lodges and conservative places. I wonder if I can talk about evolution in just an interest rather than attacking people's beliefs for being dumb. What if instead I just presented fun information about, say, animal behavior or mating lives or whatever, and introduced some basic concepts about evolution that way? that would get people thinking. That's what I was excited about at the time. I was like, oh, maybe there's a way to get people more interested in science. Uh, that way, it's not that people are dumb, it's that they haven't had access to these ideas. No one's ever been exposed to these ideas. If they were exposed to these ideas, my goodness, clearly they would see things as clearly as I, I do and and uh the world would change for the better and we would no longer be as dependent on on superstition and that sort of thing right so that was my uh next failed idea <laughs> but uh along that path that's when I started this it was around that time that I started this podcast 
Um, again, didn't know what I was doing at the time. Uh, just knew that I was so fascinated in uh, science generally, had so many questions, and had started uh, making some friends in academia and people that could help me find other scientists when I was in other areas. And so I, uh, you know, seven years ago um, or so, I I released the first one of these podcasts. And in the beginning, um, I was exceptionally intimidated. Uh, I I still am pretty often because I'm talking with someone that knows so much about the subject that they're talking about. They're probably smarter than me generally as well. Um, the amount to be under the, the amount of stuff that I need to learn to them, like really, if this was a full-time job, uh, the number of hours to like truly prep for one of these, if I had the bandwidth to do it, uh, would be insane. You know, I'd be wanting to take a class on a given subject every, uh, every week or two. Uh, just to keep up with interviews. I do, I do quite a bit of that stuff, but, uh, not, not nearly, uh, as frequent as I'd, as I'd like one, I just fall out of it sometimes. And two, I just have so many other things going on. And this, this podcast was never meant to, uh, at the time that I started this podcast, podcasting was so new and it was always just about growing an audience. It wasn't, at the time, it never even, I never even thought, huh, I wonder if I could do that for a living. Or I wonder if um, if you could make a bunch of money with a podcast. I mean, I knew some people that uh, had or were starting to, but it just, um, it, it seemed to me that this was a way that I could get an education and just gen and just generate a bunch of other ideas and think of better ideas. I was basically using this podcast to help put together other shows and to use it as like a pitch of a show. So I started reaching out to um, anytime I was on tour, I'd reach out to I, I would find a university. I'd look through various departments, see what was kind of how this podcast works and how I get into a bunch of disciplines is, is I kind of start with what my wheelhouse is. And then I try to find someone that's kind of close to that wheelhouse, but outside of it. So I'm always continuing to learn something that's pretty new, but it's not so far away from something that I know that I, I don't know what questions to ask or I, I don't know what the hell the academics talking about or whatever else. And um, that's not always the case, but that's kind of when I when I'm searching for somebody, that's often what I'm looking for. And so it went from kind of evolutionary biology stuff and uh, evolutionary psychology stuff to just general psychology learning about sociology more, learning about um, 
things like behavioral economics are and and say mating behavior were things that grabbed me as oh this is something that you can i've always i've always been very aware that your average person just is not going to give a shit about science just ever um and i mean there has been times when i'm like maybe i'll present it in a way that it will get people really engaged um but the average person i mean boy it's you know i talk with people all all the time and uh it's so rare to even hear and there's plenty of like popular science podcasts out there but it it's it's rare to hear in real life anyone saying anything uh scientific ish sounding ever i mean most people are you know stretched pretty thin with working their nine to five uh, job and being an expert in that thing that they do and and getting better at trying to get a promotion while also taking care of their kids and family and uh, get done with the end of the day and just want entertainment and um, something fun to watch on on TV or whatever and that's that's kind of just natural and and easy and there has to be there usually has to be just a genuine um, curiosity that gets people interested in uh, real science. If you if you go to, into a bookstore, the science section is so small. There there's a you know the wellness section that will have the word science slapped all over covers of you know diet fads and um various like life coaching things and even you know you, you'll see more of that in in the enormous like spiritual section as well where they'll try to like even science shows that it's it's funny that um that people are like Oh, science doesn't know everything. And then they also go, Oh, see, see, science validates my a point of view of this and that spirit. Scientifically, quantum physics, according to that, we're all magic. And like, well, I don't know. Have you like read quantum physics or did you read a spiritual book? with the word quantum physics in it. Um, and the point is, is, is most people just simply don't gravitate um, to the natural sciences. And you can look at any bookstore uh, and just compare the size of the sections if you, if you think I'm incorrect about that. But um, I'm, I'm getting off course, <laughs> but uh, so I, I started with things like evolutionary psychology and biology and early on, I, you, you just, you just start noticing gaps in things or you, you start noticing, you know, people will have, um, conflicting ideas, uh, within, um, the, the scientific community and 
you wonder, oh, who's who's closer there? And, uh, you know, maybe I'd need to learn more about neuroscience. Or that. Oh, that's what I was going to say when I mentioned behavioral economics. I was always trying to find topics that people could relate to um, the most. So most people think about science. They think about it as like, you know, chemistry or, uh, you know, making a volcano in fourth grade. And that's what science is or dissecting something. That's what science is to uh, a lot of people. And it's kind of like dry, boring or gross or useless and who would need that. And so I, I tend to focus, this isn't always the case, but I tend to focus on things that um, kind of more directly impact our lives. Uh, I, I think it, I think all of, uh, the various disciplines of science uh, impact our our lives and can better our lives and are incredibly important. Um, but we only have so much time and it's intuitive to care about the things that affect us the most. So things like mating, things like how do you get more money? Uh, how do you why do we spend in peculiar ways and uh, like I have mismanaged finances um, so many times? Why does that happen? And so I j just kind of kept on branching out into more and more fields, all while taking, you know, on online courses to get kind of a 101 amount of knowledge for as many different fields as I can. That's basically how I try to prepare for this show. I reach out, um, at least when I was touring, I'd, I'd randomly find universities. And that was an important thing early on as well. So I thought, well, there's this idea about science too, that it's uh, pretentious or these ivory towers or whatever. And or, or like people get their ideas about what uh, scientists are up to from television. It's like these exciting stories of mad scientists plotting against us and stuff that, uh, you know, then turns into these kind of insane conspiracy theories uh, and stuff that are incredibly prolific uh, these days. And, um, incredibly popular and just lies and gossip are are clickbaity when i was touring when i was finding just random academics i yeah i was going to uh, you know check out their labs check out their offices often invited into their homes or wherever i always just wherever my it was most convenient for my guests to want to record i'd bring my mobile equipment to them and record that way. And um, I'm, I didn't go into this knowing what I was going to learn from that, but right away I just kind of learned that, oh yeah, these are like normal people with jobs that just have kind of a uh, natural aptitude for thinking in this way, for critical thinking and um, and questioning things and going through these, uh, kind of 
rigorous thought processes of, of you know knowing hearing people say i don't know more often than the general public ever does and uh hearing people think through um kind of the many different confounds the complexities the different ways of looking at at a problem um and also just seeing that it you know the this idea of of these elitists well it's like well it unless i'm in a truman show where uh with no notice whatsoever some uh academic has this constructs this facade of a super mediocre office or like average at best home and like very sensible car uh it just seeing that over and over and over again like well where is this where are these elitists um that <laughs> that i've i've heard so much about that people that didn't go to college seem very obsessed with and so and I just thought no one actually cares about, no one knows about these people. As social media was growing, I was like, oh, these people don't even have, a lot of them didn't even have a Twitter account. They have no social following. They have no way of getting out incredible information that uh, that could change the way that we live our lives, help us understand ourselves better. Even things like, uh, you know, potentially treating um the blindness or something like that right and so early on my idea was like oh this would be this is what i like to do is just show how these are normal people with kind of interesting but normal jobs and so I was kind of like, well, maybe I would present a, a show idea that's like the Mike Rowe of academia in a way, you know, instead of showing, instead of showing these um, dirty jobs, these blue collar uh, jobs that help you appreciate what it's like to clean sewers or whatever. Uh, go in and, and help people appreciate what uh, what scientists do and how they discover the things um, that they do. People that that don't have uh, much of a voice. People that are that have been more than open um, and enthusiastic and generally happy to help and do whatever interviews or anything else. And. Uh, I, I just absolutely fell in love with the scientific community. I love the way that they think. Um, I love how, uh, you know, they're, they're far more um, patient uh, with people than I am. That's for sure. I think when you're a professor and you need to every day get up in front of <laughs> a bunch of disinterested hungover freshmen that ask just the dumbest questions imaginable and you kind of need to train yourself to approach that with curiosity and and everything else uh it's it's a different skill than i have as a uh as a stand-up comedian where i just get to uh you know jump up on my soapbox and tell people what's what and 
So just the amount of patience and understanding and, uh, and empathy and consideration that I've seen demonstrated over and over and over again by just every scientist in every field that I've met, not that there's not, uh, um, you know, certainly exceptions to that and everything, but just so generous with their time and uh, so thoughtful. And I've gotten to learn so much doing this show that it's, it's just been, uh, you know, absolutely incredible. And so because of that, I was just always kind of getting a free education and I was touring and I never really, I never really, I mean, if this podcast would have became like, oh my gosh, this, here we are podcast just changed my whole life and became the most popular thing in the world. Like, great. That would have been wonderful. But I, I just never, uh, I never thought of this as uh, other than, other than like a, a credit to put in advertising for, uh, live shows or, or, um, you know, people are like, oh, this comedian interviews a scientist. That's interesting. And people come into shows or um, uh, when pitching a potential TV show or something, like oh, I've interviewed 400 scientists, things like that. That's where I thought there would be an advantage to doing this show from any kind of a financial or business standpoint. I didn't really. And and, and also growing the kind of audience that I like, because I I find that uh, the audience that's into this show is um, just fantastic. They're intelligent, um, kind, thoughtful, curious uh, people. And I'm not saying that to pander. I'm saying that because I do lots of different shows and I've done lots of different things over the years. And I've pandered to like, you know, obnoxious drunk crowds. I've I've done all the like button pushing and dick jokes and I've, and I've also, I've been everywhere and I've always been a big drinker. And so I've like hung out with just every kind of crowd and had drinks with just every kind of, of person. And when I meet listeners of this show, they're just the people that I, I wish my audiences were a hundred percent filled with. Cause even when I, so I, I started doing more science themed shows, like a show called stand up science. And I still have to advertise to a lot of, I use themes to get strangers to advertise to, um, to come who don't necessarily know who I am or, you know, aren't on my mailing list, or I'm not like big on their radar, even if maybe they heard me on a podcast or something in the past. In doing that, I realized that the people that are interested in science, sometimes they're just, they just like the word science. It's kind of like, I, you know, it's kind of like I, I used to be like, well, evolution, everyone knows that without actually understanding and being curious enough about how it worked just more like my my side's right evolution's right haha i won don't need to think about it any more than that um and and it's a thing you slap the word science out and like ooh that's a smart thing or whatever and and so there will be some audience that just comes they just like that the word science is on a poster and 
And another thing that comes along with that is they're like, can I bring my kid? And like, no, please don't. Like, I'm an adult. I like talking about adult things. I like not just talking about, you know, uh, say sex or something like that. That might be uh, inappropriate or awkward if you if you bring your kid. But I uh, but not not just like dirty things, but just talking about dark subjects. I love talking about suicidal thoughts and depression and um, just mortality and um, and. Uh, just the the many adult stressors and the grind and the futility of so many things are some of my favorite things to talk about and and uh and i think cynicism um uh, although in a personal life can be somewhat delusional and destructive i i think when it comes to comedy i think it's a really um fun tool when when used appropriately and not overdone. And, uh, and so, you know, people that actually listen to the show that stumbled upon me for whatever reason, just tend to get things in the way that I get them from just, uh, just tend to be really naturally curious, uh, people that are also self-educated because it's a lot of times I have scientists that listen to the show, but it's a lot of times, um, you know, factory workers or people that drive truck or whatever, and are just naturally inquisitive, uh, intelligent people that just didn't go the traditional college route or didn't fit into the, you know, hated school like I did, but are smart people that like learning things just kind of on their own terms. And, uh, I've, I've, I have been able to find a little bit of a audience, um, there with this show. So there's, there's been, um, benefits to it, but the main thing was I just got, it's just been this incredible free education that I've got to have. And, and, uh, anyone that comes along is I'm, I'm sure in some ways, getting more of an education out of this than I am because, uh, although I do learn quite a bit in preparing for the interview, the, you know, I don't even know what the hell that I said after half the interviews are over. I don't even know what they said. It's just kind of my adrenaline's going a little, uh, I'm, I'm focused on a lot of things that aren't just learning. Like when I'm taking a class, I'm not on the show. I'm reading a book or taking class or something. And I'm truly like, how do I get this content into my brain? That's a very different thing than, all right, how do I sound interesting? How do I ask interesting questions? How do I make my guests sound interesting? How do I set them up um, to succeed in that sort of thing? Um, but it, it's just been such a great education that I've gotten out of this. And then, uh, and then COVID happened. And then my touring went away and all of a sudden I was like, well, is there a way to make a living off of this show? And I, I just don't, so there's a lot of things of like figuring out algorithms and stuff like that. And there's, and there's certainly science podcasts that people are able to make a living off of. Not many of them, but, um, but I, I I don't know if there's like diminishing returns and how to look up the 
algorithm, you know, figure out algorithms. I added video uh, to this since, and that hasn't taken off at all. We have a, a decent listenership, but the video that I've added hasn't, uh, you know, it's, it's new, but it hasn't taken off on, on YouTube. Um, and now it's, you know, nearly uh, two years in same with social media. It's not like any of, uh, any of the stuff that I've made for social media, um, has blown up again. It's, it's, I haven't, I haven't been super active and trying too hard, um, to do that as much as I should, just because I kind of hate that stuff. But, um, but I, I, I find so much value in all of the other aspects of what I but I do. So I, I don't know what the future of this show is because sometimes I think, well, when I started the show, I was so insecure and I was so nervous and I just didn't know enough to be doing this show. I just kind of threw myself into it and bit the bullet and got out of my comfort zone. And I've learned quite a bit since then. And although I'm still, um, learning and getting better and having ups and downs, but, uh, you know, quite a bit better as a host than I used to be. I sometimes think maybe I should just scrap this, start over, rebrand with something else, have like a different format or, or something like that. Or just, you know, like there's this podcast ologies, like that's a name. That's a good name. Most of the most of the names of the of the top podcasts, like Star Talk or something like that, they all have they all have a title that implies like exactly what it is, and uh, and here we are was just something that was kind of personally meaningful um, to me, which is I just kind of get overwhelmed by learning of about all of these things and all of our past histories and the the many biological and social influences that built who we are and why we behave and figuring out what to do with that and how to make sense of this existence is just so overwhelming and uh sometimes and and only gets more overwhelming the more that i learn and the more that i realize how much there is to learn and at any given moment I kind of just have to throw out my shoulders and go, well, here we are. And that's something that I said to myself quite a bit before starting this show. And that was the, uh, the um, inspiration for the title. So, yeah, so here we are starting the eighth season and I'm, I'm going to um, keep doing this. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping other things that I do will, uh, will grow my audience, which will then trickle in, uh, over here, which, you know, I think this show, you just have to be in the right mood for at the right time. And depending on, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of, um, just kind of fun, turn your brain off, uh, comedy podcasts that are really entertaining and well-suited for, um, when you're doing data entry or something and need to pay a decent amount of attention to what you're doing, but can kind of check in and out. And this podcast and mind under matter is, uh, is a little bit more like that. The, it was 
part of the intent with Mind Under Matter is it's just much more accessible. There's more laughs along the way. Um, I I don't know how I could create a show that you could learn more from than than here we are, but it you know requires attention and people have to be in the right uh, headspace and everything else. You know, I have listeners that listen to this while they're cleaning or um, taking a bath or or whatever, driving to work and can devote just a, a bit more attention, um, to it. And so I'm still sorting out what I want to do with this, uh, with this show, but, um, I just, uh, one thing's for sure after, after seven years of doing this, my, uh, my love and interest in, in science and of meeting all of these people that work with it and think scientifically. Um, I, th- that's, that's the big thing that I think will come across with this. If you listen to this show enough and hear so many people from so many dis- di- different disciplines is that what you'll notice is that there's a science isn't always just about, uh, you know, learning, doing math or learning about chemistry or certain molecules or this or that. Um, but there's, there's just a way of thinking scientifically of making, you know, falsifiable predictions of thinking about, well, how would you test that thing? How, how would you find, uh, out the answer to that? What possible other explanations are there for what we're seeing, you know, simple things like, um, uh, correlation versus causation type stuff. These, these two things look to go together. Did, did one of them cause the other one or, uh, or not? I just, uh, things like that, that have been ingrained in so many of the people that I talk to that, um, I think rub off uh, on you when you listen to enough uh, scientists talk. It's just a style of thinking critically that anyone would benefit from in any part of their life and any job that they have. And will uh, I? I do think create a. Um, uh, you know, there's sometimes you you learn a bunch of new things, and for me, it'll make me feel like hopeless or oh, what's what's even the point of anything? This is uh, you know, I'll learn something kind of some dark truths of the universe or whatever. And but but I do think that um, learning more and learning to think better, uh, which is something that is, you know, always a work in progress. I, I think that it creates a lot of opportunities for things like, um, you know, innovating and, uh, creating lifestyle change and that sort of thing. So I've, I've greatly benefited from 
doing this podcast. Uh, and it's been a lot of work and it's sometimes frustrating. And of, of course, I wish it was, uh, I, I wish, I wish everyone in the world was so interested in this stuff that, uh, that this podcast was like totally unnecessary because, uh, the, there was already a zillion other podcasts talking about this and it's all over TV. And instead of, um, the animal planet, uh, and history channel going into like finding Bigfoot and, uh, ancient alien, uh, stuff because, that's juicy and exciting and and clickbaity. Uh, I I wish the clickbait was um was going the other way. I I wish I I wish instead of um the Science Channel and Animal Planet and everything else having to dumb itself down for ratings, there was uh, cultural pressure to uh, raise the bar. And, uh, I don't think that's out of the scope of possibilities. Um, I just think it's, it's more kind of, uh, it's a smaller audience. Um, not because people don't have the, the capacity, just that, you know, we all like to, at the end of the day, um, you, you know, most of these, most of these intelligent people I talk to that have incredibly um, mentally demanding jobs indulge in the same dumb shit that the rest, you know, love catching a, um, some sports ball or, you know, going to the bar and uh, having some drinks with friends and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And so it's just... Uh, it's it's harder Ra raising the bar is more challenging um it requires a greater attention span it requires a greater level of interest and curiosity and uh but what whatever whatever small group of people are into that and supporting it i would i would love to see that grow by uh uh just not just for my own, my my own benefit, but just uh, I I would like to see more interest in um, things like you know David Attenborough documentaries and stuff that are that are you know do well and are popular. But uh, I think everyone, even though they aren't perfect in any, just everyone should sit through uh, a season of planet earth or something like that and and truly appreciate this existence that we are actually in and just how fascinating actual reality is and that we actually get to experience all of this you're never going to get to meet bigfoot and if finding bigfoot is what gets you out of bed in the morning hey more power to you, but it's a shame <laughs> that people don't care about actual primates that can be studied, that we can learn about ourselves from, that are uh, potentially going extinct, and and we need to be more aware of some of our impact and 
endless things like that. So uh, that's why I like to say that those of you that listen to the uh, all the way to the end of this podcast, you're my favorites. Uh, but it's truly, you know, people that listen to this show. Um, I, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but people that are just into that sort of th- into learning more about reality, which is endless and endlessly fascinating. There's going to be bits and pieces that are, that are boring um, and are going to be harder to get through, but it's so worth it. And it increases our appreciation for life. Uh, it increases our ability to navigate reality better, in my opinion. And so here we are in the eighth season of the show. Thank you so much for listening.